Well, I was just saying to my friend here, hallelujah, and the answer is, what a savior. But nobody's listening to me. So I'm going to say hallelujah, and you're going to follow, what a savior. There's Rich down there. He's got it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So good having you here this morning. Welcome to the chapel at Warren Valley. If you are new to us, outside to the right, there is a welcome center. We would love to hear of your attendance here. There is a packet that they have, a welcome packet as well. We would love to uh, hear of your attendance. Just a couple of announcements, and then I will open us open our service in prayer. Uh, there are some sheets going out, so if you did not get a sheet um, with some notes for Pastor Tim's sermon, uh, they're coming around now. Uh, so we've got a pretty heavy month here. We had baptisms last week, which was so exciting. Uh, so if you weren't here... You missed a powerful service. How many young people as well went into the waters of baptism? Uh, so, and in three weeks, I believe it is, uh, on the 24th, we'll have another uh, round of baptisms as well. So we're looking forward to that. Next week, just to prepare yourself, the second ordinance of our church um, is the Lord's Supper, um, ba- um, uh, conf- uh, communion, can't speak today, uh, communion next week. Uh, so be preparing your hearts for that. We'll be doing that in service as well. At the end of the service next week, we're going to be having a connection team meeting. If you are part of the connection team, those that are in the welcome center, those that are part of our usher team, if you're part of that, we'll be meeting right after church next week. If you would like to be part of that, I would encourage you to come. We're just going to have a short meeting afterwards. So if you're new to that and you want to uh, get more information, please do that. Uh, So communion next week, uh, the connection team meeting next week, newcomers luncheon. If you're new to the uh, church and you haven't been to one of our newcomers luncheon, we're going to have a newcomers luncheon next week, I'm sorry, the 17th, right after service. Uh, So October 17th, and then I already told you October 24th, we'll be doing another baptism. Let me pray for you, and uh, let me just read this passage from Psalm 100. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Would you pray with me? Father, it is hallelujah, and it is what a Savior we have, an amazing Savior that we have. We praise you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for your Holy Spirit. We praise you that you are a good, good Father. We thank you that we can enter your courts with thanksgiving and enter your gates with praise, Lord. I pray that we would do that this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're a father who hears us. I thank you for the fact that you're a father who loves us. Lord, I pray for some request right now. I pray for Diana Kelly. Father, I pray that she would know that you were near her. You will never leave her. You will never forsake her. Help her to know your comfort, your peace, and your perpetual presence in her life. Lord, I pray for Dan Slack. 
as Dan just had surgery this week, Lord, going through some pain and discomfort. I pray for the healing process there. Thank you for the skill of the doctors, but we pray for healing for his body, Lord. Pray for Carol, Carol Sutherland, Father. I pray that she would also find healing and rest. Pray for those that are grieving right now, the Durier family, the Buck family, Lord. I pray that you would remind them that you are with them. So today, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of who you are. Remind us whose we are. And I pray that you be glorified in what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Your heart was torn to 
God has shown the star that shone the brightest sky, and when earth fell dark, the heavens cried, Behold our King, Jesus, behold our King, behold our King.
hearts and you give life. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every again you give life you give life you are love you bring light to our darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great Shout your praise. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Shout to you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. And our hearts will cry.
God, this morning we praise you. We feel that inside of us that all we can do, the only thing our bones are made to do is to shout your praise. We lift you up this morning, God. We give you the glory. Lord, you put the breath in our lungs. You gave us life, physical life, and then you gave us spiritual life by giving us a way when there was no way, Lord, to come to your throne, to believe simply that Jesus did die for my sins. He was resurrected on the third day. And I live because of him. So God, all we can do is offer a praise this morning. That's our heart's desire. And Lord, we thank you for the Proverbs, Lord, these uh, little pieces of wisdom, Lord, that you have put in the middle of the Bible, Lord, that give us hope. So Lord, we ask your blessing on Pastor Tim as he speaks to us now. May these pieces of wisdom, Lord, go with us from this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As you're seated, uh, if you do not have one of the uh, sheets with all the verses on it, can you just raise your hand and we'll get someone to run one of those up to you quickly? So uh, just when they get near you, you can uh, grab one of those word sheets. It'll save you a little time flipping around this morning, okay? And the children can be dismissed for junior church as well. Last Sunday morning, we had the privilege of hearing uh, words from folks who were giving thanks for what God has done in their lives. And uh, it tells us about the power of words and their capacity to change lives. In the book of Proverbs, uh, the topic of words, of the tongue, and of speaking is the most frequently discussed topic in the book. Okay, 
So that's why when you look at the sheet with verses on it, there's a lot of verses because the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the importance of our tongue or the words that we speak. Uh, Words convey our thoughts, our hearts, our deep feelings. There's some needs up front here that are, Dave, all the way over here, buddy. They're not going to stop waving until they get what they want. I know them personally. (laughs) All right. So I want to look at three ideas this morning. First of all, God's caution by exposing the power of words. Secondly, how do I avoid the damage that words can cause in my life? And then thirdly, how do I address the heart issue that is behind my words? Okay? So let me just pray as we begin. Father, as we look at your truth, your word, may it deeply affect the words that we use, that we communicate with. God, forgive us for underestimating the power of our words. And help us by your spirit to be captured and captivated by the possibilities that are present when we speak truth in love to people around us. Lord, bless your truth now. Bless the words that come from my mouth. Let them be your desire and your words for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Let's first begin by looking at God's caution in Proverbs by exposing the power of words. I'm going to do this negatively and positively. Okay, so negatively, let's look at verse, uh, chapter 12 and verse 18 of Proverbs. It says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words. The idea of reckless words is the idea of rash, spontaneous, slashing, cutting, careless, and thoughtless. Okay, and the text tells us that reckless words pierce like a sword. And it's fascinating in this text that it also says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing, which starts to raise in my mind an understanding of the the power and capacity of words to do damage and yet also to do good. It's interesting that in this verse, when he talks about the power of words to do harm, that he uses the word sword. It is possible to be stabbed by a sword and yet not have your life taken. You can pull the sword back out, but what you cannot eliminate is the damage that was created, the scar. There is a a residual negative effect from words that cut like a sword. And so God's caution to us is that reckless words can be incredibly harmful and the consequences can be at times. Now listen to what I'm going to say. The consequences of those kinds of wounds can in fact be lifelong. Uh, As I was preparing this, I thought back through my own life, the lives of others that I've counseled with. And it is often true for people that they have had things said to them that have permanently scarred their emotional life. Because what is said can't be unsaid. What is heard can't be unheard. And so this text is cautioning us to understand the the damage that can be caused by words. Because words can literally be weaponized. 
Okay, they can be uh, tools or instruments that I use to knock others down or to do damage to them for a variety of reasons. I don't know if you're like me, but if, if you've ever had your, in your mind thought, boy, I'd like to get that one back. When that word launches in a moment, when you're aggravated, agitated, irritated, and you, you, you speak like, like the thrust of a sword. But what is done is done. And it cannot be taken back. And I think this proverb warns us of that. Proverbs 15.4 says this. It says, a gentle tongue is like a tree of life, but perverseness in it. And that's this idea that we've been talking about in Proverbs. Perverseness in it, ill will, nurtured or cherished wounds that fester and then occasionally explode in the context of my life relationships. And Proverbs says, a gentle tongue is like a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Now, when I ever give discussions on the topic of parenting, I say to people, particularly to parents, I say, there is a difference between dealing with the willfulness of your child and the spirit of your child. Okay, appropriate discipline recognizes and confronts willful rebellion. It lets a child know that that mindset, that attitude of willful defiance will not be tolerated. So if I act towards my children in a reactionary fashion when they do wrong, I will have a tendency in my reaction to break the spirit of my child, to do damage to them that can last a lifetime. So that word, that warning goes out to all of us. This morning, that a gentle word brings healing. It, is a, it has a restorative value. Don't neutralize your influence in your child's life by verbally abusing them. Proverbs 18, 21 says this. And this I just love this verse. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Okay, meaning words have unleashed people to commit suicide. I have been in the context of that, have dealt with that, where a word badly spoken with ill intent, with ill will, damages someone to the point that they terminated their life. And that for me is one of the most heartbreaking experiences that I have ever had as a pastor, where that damage is so deep and irreconcilable and unforgivable in the person's mind that it drives them to termination. Sometimes words spoken by leaders spawn wars, and in wars, people die because of foolish attitudes and words. The tongue has the power of life and death. Words can ultimately kill. And it's interesting when you look at this idea of life that, that is present in this verse. You can kill people literally. You can kill people psychologically, and you can kill people socially, okay? And all three of those things, if you just think through that spectrum, literal death, psychological damage and death, and then social death, this text tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death, physical death, psychological death because of emotional damage, and then social death because of Speech that destroys people's community, their sense of relationship. 16, 27, and 28 says this. 
It says, a scoundrel plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. That is damaging, deadly, fast-spreading. A perverse man stirs dissension, and a gossip separates chief friends. Interesting, isn't it? I've watched this in my experience as a pastor. seen it in my own personal life. Where words of gossip are spoken... And people that have been friends for a lifetime find that relationship severed and destroyed. And there's something very serious about that because when we kill by our words, by our, our, our slanderous words or gossipy words, when we destroy community, we're destroying a gift that God gave to humanity for their benefit and well-being, particularly in the context of a family or in the context of church life or in the context of a community. Ill-advised words can take away that community that God created us to live in that is for our benefit and for the good of one another. <clears throat> and so this text warns us very strongly about plotting evil and speaking like a scorching fire, stirring dissension, and ultimately separating best friends. The tongue not only has the power to do that, to bring great damage, the text also tells us that it has the great power to bless. Look at verse 16, or chapter 16 and verse 24. The proverb says this, and I love this thought. Gracious words are like honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and health to the body. Meaning it, words that are well spoken, that are gracious and well thought out, bring a broad benefit to the context of one's life. So words have this powerful capacity to destroy and to build up. If, if, if you... I, I think I could say this, Sophie. all of us have experienced words that have just at the right moment, you know that how, how some people will sometimes just, they bring a word to you and it's just like, you know what, that is exactly what I needed to hear today. You may not even verbalize that, but you, you sense that, that affirmation that you may have needed that day, that sense of encouragement that was desperately needed, perhaps because of your own brokenness or because of brokenness inflicted upon you by the words of others. And that, that appropriate word, that gracious word, hits the hungry soul like honeycomb. It is sweet to the soul and health to the body. All right, Because when someone cuts you down with words, it is not merely a mental experience, right? When you're in the thick of it because of words that have been said to you, you literally feel physically sick. But a positive word can drag you out of that despair, pick you back up on your feet, and you feel so much better. That well-timed call, that well-thought-out word, because those words have incredible power to bless and bring benefit. The sad truth is that most of us tend to underestimate and trivialize the power of words. We say things like this, oh, I was only kidding. I wasn't serious, okay? And we try to slip out from under the damage that we feel the weight of responsibility for because we tend to underestimate the power of what comes out of our mouths. And this indeed is a dangerous thing. And I think it's why Proverbs spends so much time on this. If I trivialize the power of words, Proverbs just simply comes to this conclusion about me. It says I'm playing the fool. 
Okay, I'm not living wisely. My life is of little benefit. One of the ways that we've trivialized words historically growing up, I remember hearing this uh, little uh, poetic statement, sticks and stones may break my bones. And then the lie, names will never hurt me. Okay? I'm going to tell you something. When you read through Proverbs, you read through the verses that are in front of you this morning, you're going to understand that that tendency to underestimate, to think, I can just shrug that off. Oh, they weren't serious. What? But later it has this residual effect because it's like the piercing of a sword. The sword is gone, but the scar and the damage can remain. So we need to kind of understand and, and grasp the power of the tongue. In James 3, down at the bottom of the page, James 3, I know this is in Proverbs, but James is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament. James doesn't let us go. He amplifies this, this theme of the power of words, and he does it by using an analogy. He says the tongue is a small part of the body. That is to say it is seemingly inconsequential. But he says it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark, seemingly inconsequential and harmless. In 2018, in the United Kingdom, there was a, the, the most horrific and large uh, forest fire that has happened in the United Kingdom in, in recorded history. And they figure that it was sparked by the exhaust on motorbikes of people that were enjoying the woods that day. And a spark came out of that exhaust pipe. That little, seemingly inconsequential glowing spark set ablaze the worst worst forest fire in the history of the United Kingdom. Think about that. People just out having fun. And that's kind of how we deal with words, right? I was just joking. I was just whatever. And that little spark hits dry grass and it turns into an inferno that brings about a level of destruction that is virtually impossible to grasp. Verse 6 of James 3, he says, The tongue also is a fire. It is a world of evil among the parts of the body. When he says it's a world of evil, he's talking about the potential or the capacity for your tongue to do greater harm than you can imagine. Okay, that's the idea here. It's small. It's unexpected that it could do such great damage. And yes, and yet it is true. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of life on fire. And this is the statement that to me is stunning. And it is set on fire by hell itself. Okay, meaning when I move into the realm of uncontrolled speech and I am just I am pouring it out I've had it I'm just I pull the cork on the bottle and I just let the ugliness in my heart pour out the results are far worse than you the speaker can ever imagine okay and so this text kind of sets us up to understand that words are dangerous they're according to James like like a spark thrown into straw I remember when I was a kid 16 years old I worked on a dairy farm. We had that day filled a barn with straw. As I left work that night at 6 o'clock, it was in, in the fall. As I left the, the, the farm later that night, I saw this glowing on the horizon. 
Okay, now we had two barns that we filled with straw. One, one was at the dairy farm, and the other was down the road about two miles. And I, for whatever reason, I said, you know, I'm going to drive down that way. That looks odd. And when I got down there, this whole barn was ablaze. There were fire trucks already on their way. They had been called. And, and through all the, all the wood slats of the barn, you could just see that this entire structure had been completely consumed by this fire and soon would fall. Next day, we found out what happened. Three young boys were seen fleeing that barn. And when they were interrogated, here's what they found out. They were in there playing with fire. They were launching matches into the straw that was left behind on the floor. So they would launch it, and then they'd run up and stomp it out. And and you start to get the sense in that scenario that this is containable and controllable. Okay? And then they light another one, flicking them out. I remember doing this as a kid. I hate to admit it. I didn't do it in a barn, though. Okay? Take that match on that old match, match uh, package and just launch them like that. And they would light, and it was all fun. And for these boys, it was all fun. Until all of a sudden, they realized they had started something that was no longer containable. Right? The result was a devastating loss of equipment, of the straw, just a, a broad, catastrophic event. That started with just this. Just this. You know what Satan wants you to think? Satan wants you to think that your words are inconsequential. He wants you to say things like, well, I didn't mean it. I wasn't serious. And we forget and we miss the fact that God's word is very clear on this topic. And what I would tell you is that the book of Proverbs raises the threat level on the use of words to a code red. It wants us to sit back and say, okay, wow. It's meant to caution us and to cause us to live differently. So here's the question that comes to mind for me. How can I avoid the damage that words can do and yet capture the benefit that words can bring? Okay, so I want to just work through four four thoughts. The first one is this. And, and, And just in general, what do I need? I need biblical wisdom so that I understand how to use my words in a way that brings life, okay? So that's what he said earlier in Proverbs. Words can kill, words can bring life, words can encourage, words can be like honeycomb that refreshes and and restores and lightens the eyes, takes away that soul sickness. So how do I avoid the damage and capture the benefit? The first thought is this, be careful when you speak, that first text we looked at, 1218, it says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So the idea of reckless is just simply careless, thoughtless, right? If it comes to mind, I just say it. That mindset is incredibly dangerous. And this text is calling us to speak in ways that are thoughtful. Think of uh, words that add benefit and value And that is true even when a difficult word needs to be spoken. Okay, I need to be careful how I say the things that I must say. So every day, if you're raising young children, every day, almost guaranteed, every day, perhaps with teenagers as well, okay? Every day, you're having to give words of correction and instruction. Hopefully, you do that in a way that is not demeaning but instead that is careful, that aims to build up. That's true in marriage. Imagine being married to me. 
I have a wife that is very kind and very tolerant. And when she speaks, it's like, remember the old commercial when E.F. Hutton speaks? People listen. Well, you young people have no clue what I mean by that. But it was a commercial with this. Oh, when everybody's talking, nobody's listening. And then this voice. And then the commercial across the screen, it would say, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Okay, and the idea, the implication of that, he was an investment advisor, company. When he speaks about investment, you need to listen. And what I'm saying to you is be that person who is respected for their advice because when they speak, they do it with care. They desire to bring benefit to the person's life and they understand how careless words can be incredibly damaging. Man, it, I'm not on Facebook because I, I have a little business page that I can't figure out where it is. So some of you may think I'm on Facebook because I am, but I'm not, okay? So I don't even know how to get to it. I'm trying to figure that out because this business thing I want to do, it's a mess. But I know from talking to people that through Twitter and that through Facebook and Instagram, words without context, without care, bring about great devastation. It should scare, I literally mean this, it should cause you to live and in some level of fear of reverence before God because you understand how damaging words that fly off your tongue can be. Don't fall into the trap of underestimating their value. Be careful when you speak. The tongue of the wise, Proverbs 12, 18 says, brings healing. It adds benefit because it is done with care. Secondly, be gentle when you speak. The idea of gentleness here is to speak kindly. Proverbs 15, 1 says this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs it up. The idea of harsh here is this. It is a word that aims to inflict pain, to do damage. Okay, if you catch yourself ready to say something that is demeaning, that is harsh, ask God to stop you. Because the effect of that slash, that, that harsh word intended to demean, to pull down, to destroy, will have a lasting effect on someone perhaps that you even claim to love. This text cautions us. A gentle answer turns away wrath. I remember uh, growing up in the hardware store uh, that I was raised in. Uh, I remember being called to the counter. They called me in the back of the store. We have an irate customer up here. They're very upset. Can you please come up here? And this customer is raging. And I remember walking up and just, hey, hi, uh, here we have a problem. How can I help you? Here's what you watch. Maybe you've had it happen to you in a store, okay, where you were the rage, okay? And they started, you're like, oh, okay. Because what happens? They come in thinking, I'm going to have excuses for why I'm not going to take care of the problem that they're experiencing. And when you approach them, even with a demeanor that says, I'm here to help, right? You come with a a gentle answer. They're raging. You respond. You don't go toe-to-toe. Toe-to-toe in this text is called foolishness. 
A soft answer dials things down. I've been in many situations like that. There are folks within our church that work in schools or that work in the context of law enforcement. It is vital to know how to, in a very wise way, dial things down. And when you do, what happens? That flaming fire loses oxygen and it starts to die down. It makes things reasonable and you can move in and be of help. A soft answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stir it up. Proverbs 25, 15, it says, listen to what this says. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. Now remember, these are general principles. So this isn't saying, oh my gosh, if only someone had gone to talk to Hitler, he would have changed his mind. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? These are, these are generally true principles that work in most circumstances in life. They are not guarantees. They're not promises. They're patterns in the life of people that live wisely by God's instruction. That are sensitive as the Spirit is saying, not that, this. Okay? So what does he say? He says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, can be talked off the cliff, as it were. Notice what he says next. A gentle tongue can break a bone. That You just got to say, okay, I need to think about that. How can a gentle tongue break a bone? Here's the answer. If you go before a ruler and you go toe-to-toe, he's going to amp up and you're going to amp up, and it's not going to end well. But if you go in with an unexpected level of wisdom, of care, of gentleness... It, it, it puts people back on their heels. And the idea is that the word becomes so weighty, though gentle, that it has the power to crush a bone, to change the direction of things. The idea is not to inflict pain, it's to show how weighty, wise, and well-thought-out words are. So that the person steps back and says, I didn't think of that. Okay? That's, that's how a wise person interacts. But it's fascinating here that, 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 that we're told in our speech to be, to be gentle, to be patient as we deal with those that are struggling with anger. Gentle can be very strong and persuasive. I would say that's true of my wife. I, I think I can... I'm thinking back real quick. I don't think she's ever, like, unloaded on me. And Kathy Happen is thinking she should have. Okay. And I agree with you, okay? I live with a wife that, that has, has that sense of gentleness. And when she gives me correction on something, it, it breaks me. It, it has that sense of getting my attention because it's not ill-motivated. It's well thought out. It's gentle. It aims at the target that needs to be hit. Nothing is as persuasive as a wise, thoughtful And listen to this. Gentle doesn't mean I'm shy. Gentle can be bold because it's confident in what needs to be said. Okay, so it's not like it's it's this soft person who has no backbone and they're speaking gently. We need someone that can step up there and really tell them the way it is. No, that gentle person, Proverbs says, is going to be far more effective in dealing with a problem than will be someone who is lit like a fire. And tends to go into rage. Because when you rage, you destroy your own reputation. And you lose the capacity to be heard. You sacrifice that. 
because you're so concerned about venting your own thought or opinion. A gentle word wins over and is persuasive. I remember, uh, those of you that are, are old enough to remember when the Dallas Cowboys were really a reigning championship team. That was when I was in my teen years. They had a coach named Tom Landry, who for me is the epitome of this text. You never saw him raging. He was always subdued, controlled, wore a nice jacket, presented himself professionally, and was a phenomenal coach who never had to rage. He understood that rage pushes people away and does damage. But a gentle, thoughtful, direct approach with truth wins the day. Okay? And I think that's something that we tend to underestimate. We think if you want to get your way, you got to stand up for yourself. And what I would challenge you to do is look through Proverbs and find how does a wise person avoid foolishness in their speech. And I think there's an element in the gentle word, yet strong, of trusting God. That I'm not going to take care of this on my own, with my own approach and my own wisdom. I'm going to deal with this in the way that God wants it dealt with. And I'm going to leave the results with him. Okay? So be careful when you speak. Be gentle when you speak. And then verse 32 of chapter 10. This is one of my favorite verses in Proverbs on the tongue. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. The fascinating picture, right? A word fitly spoken, aptly spoken, well-timed, well-thought-out, thinking of the person that's being spoken to, taking the things into consideration that need to be taken into consideration to be wise. A word dialed in is like an apple of gold in a setting of silver. That says to me two things. It says to me that that word, that phrase, that statement, that observation, that is well thought out, lands with beauty and value. Hence that picture, right? It's, it's an apple of gold in a setting of silver. Automatically in my mind, I have no, I've never seen that. But in my mind, I imagine that that is probably a beautiful thing to behold on the dinner table. It has great value, but it is also this. It's not lumps of gold and silver. It's, it has an artistic value to it. Okay? Wise communication then is what? It's a form of art where I am thoughtful about how I approach situations where things are amped so that a good outcome can be secured without damage. Does that make sense? A word fitly spoken is like artwork. Well-timed. A word that keeps the person being communicated to in mind. Ephesians 4, 29 says this. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Do you realize what that text does? It forbids. It prohibits. The same thing that the book of Proverbs prohibits, doesn't it? Do not let any unwholesome, degrading, 
harsh talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, which means what? I need to take time in the heat of the moment to step back, to think about the circumstance thoroughly and prayerfully, trusting the Spirit of God will take me back into that situation, able to speak a word that brings benefit as opposed to damage. I don't know about you guys, but when I read this, some, I just, God help me. God help me. My mom used to say to us, if you don't have something good to say, don't say it. And I won't get specific, but in my own life, I'm meaning me, uh, there's an area that God has been pointing out to me. Uh, The truth of that statement. Where we tend to slip into patterns that are degrading and not helpful. And we forget that our words are like fire in a tinderbox. May God help us. Sadly, many boast that if I'm thinking it, I say it. God says that if you say everything you're thinking, you're a fool. He calls it a forbidden boast. Proverbs 29, 11 is powerful. It says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. He says everything that comes to mind. But a wise man keeps himself under control. It's probably why in Psalm 141, verse 3, David said this. God set a watch before my mouth. In the context of giving his praise to God, he said, Oh God, in front of my mouth, put a guard, put a block, protect me. Because those words that I speak can not only destroy the person that they're launched at when they're weaponized. It also destroys my credibility and my reputation and my trustworthiness. And I've thought about this many, many times as a pastor speaking in this kind of setting along with our pastoral team it is, it is purely a miracle of God that I haven't said something really stupid from here. And I mean that sincerely. I think about that often. I say, God, thank you. I know some of you are probably thinking what you have. <laughs> and you're probably right. I'm just ignorant. And ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. So the prayer is... Somebody just got it. I'm sorry. All right, so be careful, be gentle, be helpful, encouraging. And then this, speak less. Speak less. Proverbs 10:19 says this, and this is a this is this is one of those verses that I find fascinating. It says when words are many, sin is not absent. Which to me, I put in my notes, sin, when you speak too much, sin is unavoidable. It is inevitable that damage will be done to the person you're speaking to and to your reputation. Powerful. Powerful statement. When words are many, I am likely to be wounding somebody. Proverbs 17, 28, one of my favorite verses. Even a fool is considered wise when he holds his tongue. You just sit there like, 
watching what's going on. Everybody thinks you know something. Like, hey, what do you think? Right? Even a fool, if he keeps silent, is thought to be wise because in his silence, he actually is being wise. He's putting into practice the broader principles of this text. That if what you have to say is to, to, to simply exhaust the frustration that you are experiencing, keep it to yourself. It will only damage and light the fire and pour gasoline on the fire and create a catastrophic mess. And the person that sits back and says, you know what, I'm not going to say something now with the right attitude is thought to be wise because they actually are following God's directive and way. James 1.19 says this in this thought of the economy of words, use less words. James 1.19 says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Rick Warren humorously has made the observation that God gave you two ears and one mouth. That's kind of a do the math. Okay? Listen twice as much as you speak. Okay? And that, just, just a simple proverb from the book of James. Just be slow to speak and quick to hear. Want to understand so that when you speak, you can speak less and you can speak more effectively to the circumstance that is before you. Words have great power. I thought, as I was going through this, I thought to myself, okay, in my own life, circumstances in recent years where words have, have, have hit the target. One was a negative for me and one was a positive. One was a good friend who had the courage to tell me that my approach to an individual was wrong. I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. And then secondly, last week I got a letter from a lady in our church who just turned out her 50th birthday. And she said, I don't know what it is, if I'm getting sentimental or whatever, crossing this line. I'm like, you're getting sentimental at 50. Try 61. I mean, like, (laughs) that's a rougher road. (laughs) Well, what she did, she said, I've determined I'm going to sit down and put in words encouraging thoughts to people that have made a difference in my life. Here's the miracle. I got one of those letters. Right? Now, I'm not saying it for that reason. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When I read a letter where someone identified things, and I'm going to be honest with you, I said to my wife, I don't even remember doing that or saying that or being there. Because after 35 years and life after 60, it all, it all gets a little, you get a little foggy, right? But when I read that letter, those well-placed, careful, thoughtful, true words, just like the rebuke that I received, were equally beneficial for my life because of how they were handled. So I thank God that in the community that I am blessed to live in, in the context of of my own family and of this church family, that happens. And it is absolutely essential. That's why Proverbs says, a gracious word is like the honeycomb. It it, it snaps you back to life. It re-energizes. It wakes you up with joy. Harsh words do the exact opposite. A dear friend in our church uh, 
20 years ago, Randy Cole. Most of you probably don't remember him, but he passed through here for about six years and was a rich blessing to this church family. He worked for Johnson & Johnson at the executive level. And he observed and told me that he observed that I was very impetuous. I said, well, I beg to agree with you. <laughs> like, I, like, I'm aware I'm that way. I'm like, dude, I, I know. I, like, people ask me something, I got to fix it thing going on. I, someone asked about something in the church. So yeah, okay, so this is good. Let's do this. Here's what he said to me. He said, why don't you just say to people, I'll take that into consideration. Well, that was deep for me. That was deep wisdom for someone who tends to, you ask me something, I'm probably going to give you an answer. He said, sometimes you need to say, I need to take that into consideration before I respond. Okay. That's, that means the word given in response is not harsh and defensive which as a pastor in the context of a church, when people critique something, didn't like something, it's easy for me to immediately go on the defensive because I don't like being criticized. Okay? And yet I need it. And when it comes in the right way, it, 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 it saves me and the person that's speaking to me. Do you see? There's a sad irony in James 3, verses 9 and 10, down at the bottom of your page. The sad irony is this. It says, with the tongue, we praise the Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who were made in God's likeness. Man, I, I read that in light of the earlier text that I, that I pointed out to you. And I've had that happen to me. Come on a Sunday morning, sing praises to God. Everything is awesome. And God is good. And I'm kind of getting in line with where I belong. And then something happens. And like that, it can evaporate. And what is James doing? He's warning us. And he's also helping us, right? In fact, but let me say this to you. If you have troubles with your tongue, it's very helpful to me if you come and admit that to me. Okay, because sometimes you feel like you're alone in your struggle, right? You feel like, man, I am a mess. But the community aims to help one another deal with those issues by confessing our faults to one another and growing and encouraging. Here's how God helps me to deal with it. Just my friend Randy said to me, tell them, I'll take it into consideration. You don't need to respond. In fact, when you do, it's dangerous because you're impetuous. It's your nature. It's your personality. Live in wisdom of who you are. So you don't destroy people. And the work that God is trying to do, do not get in the way. So maybe you're here this morning and you say, okay, I, have, I realize that I have issues. I have sinful speaking habits. I do not tend to be careful, gentle, gracious, well-timed, and economical with my speaking. Is there hope for me? Here's what I'm going to say to you. In your flesh, absolutely not. No. Because what you see coming out in those encounters is you. It's you. You know, when, when, when famous politicians and athletes say stupid things, damaging things, devastating things, here's what people tend to say. That's not really what they're like. Okay, that, that's not the true them. That's, that was just words. 
Jesus would beg to differ. And this is where this gets personal. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth finds its expression from the heart. And this is never disconnected from the real you. This is just flesh. But it has the capacity to communicate the true you. So out of the abundance of the heart, out of what you love, out of your passions, out of your desires, out of what you want and what you demand, your mouth speaks. What is Jesus saying? If you want to know who you really are, look at what you say. And look at how you say it. Look in that mirror. And don't forget. James tells us the kind of person that you are. Let that truthful correction of God bleed into your heart and bring change. So how can I change? Is there hope? First of all, do this. Admit that your mouth issue is a heart issue. Admit that my tongue exposes the real me. And if you don't like what you see, get before God and ask God to change your heart. And when your heart changes, everything else changes. Because Proverbs 4.24 says this. It says, guard your heart with all diligence because life springs from it. So what comes out of my mouth is the true me. Even if I didn't mean it, the truth comes out anyway. That is a deeply convicting thought. The heart is the central you, the real you. It is your needs, your desires, your longings, your passions. And when it is expressed, it comes out here. So first admit to God, say, God, my heart is broken. This is the thing we have a hard time admitting. That my heart is sinful. That it's broken. That it has tendencies. And its natural tendencies are not good and are not blessed. But how can that change? The first thing you need to do is confess to God your desire to change, but your inability to do it. Okay, so go to God and say, God, I would love to change, but I find myself lacking ability. James 3.8 says this, the tongue no human can tame. It is a restless evil, a world of sin. Okay, it's like, I need help. Let that truth break you and drive you to the place where you can find everything you need. Effort, regret, reform will never change you. You can acknowledge that there's a need, that there's a brokenness, but you must go to God and say, God, I beg you to invade my life. Change my heart so that the primary expression of my heart changes and becomes a blessing instead of a cutting of others. I think last Sunday morning, Carm mentioned in our time of worship this thought that he had shared a few years back that has deeply affected how I come on Sunday morning. He said this. He said, we come to church not because we have it together, but we come to church to get it together, to listen to God, To have him say, you got a speech issue. 
you got an issue with your tongue, and I aim to help you with that. But you need to stop trying, and you need to surrender. You need to acknowledge the brokenness of it and ask for my help. And God says, if you humble yourself, I'll draw near to you. He also says, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. When you come to God transparently saying, okay, God, I am a broken, needy man, woman, young person. I'd love to see this change because it is, it is a manure spreader. It is damaging. It is devastating my world. It is building resentment in my relationships that I so desperately need. It is severing from the, me from the community that God has put me in. I want help. You need to realize that you come to church because you need someone to help you get it together. And that is a hopeful thought. Galatians 5, 22 to 23 says this. Paul says, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That gives me hope. If I, on a daily basis, surrender to the glorious presence of God indwelling me by the Spirit, and I say, God, my mouth is a mess. Change my heart and change my life as a result. Paul says, if you live by the Spirit, if you acknowledge His presence in your heart and you sense His prompting and you yield to it, He will change the course and direction of your life. So that where you have been damaging people with your words, you will find yourself being a blessing with your words. Paul goes on to say, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you cannot do what you want to do, but If you are led by and surrendered to the leading of the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he launches into that beautiful text that we all know, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit manifested in my tongue is love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, and I think the last one is kindness, self-control. Here's what's interesting. That list from Proverbs that I gave you is the same list in Galatians 5.22. It's how God wants us to speak. How does that happen? The Spirit of God transforms me. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, do not go out of here saying, you know what, I just need to change my speech patterns. Pastor Tim, can you give me those four thoughts again? I want to put them into practice so I can be different. It won't change you. It's just rules that you will finally resent and cast aside because the true you desperately wants to come out. And until the Spirit of God changes the true you, the real you, the internal you, your nature, your heart. Devastation will result. A catastrophe is waiting. But if you're led by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. He will stifle those sinful things and He will, out of your life, bear fruit that glorifies God. And now your speech will be valued and treasured Now your speech will not destroy your reputation. It will instead increase your influence for the glory of God. To me, that's hopeful. That my heart can be changed by God 
so that my speech can be changed, so that God can be glorified by what comes from here. And that is a miracle. Because James 3 9 said, no one can tame the tongue. No one can get it together. Only God. James isn't trying to destroy your hope. He's trying to push you into the arms of God. He's calling you to surrender to the power of the Spirit of God that lives, if you've trusted Christ, that lives in you and aims to change and alter you if you will simply surrender and keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray together this morning. Father, your word is uh, it's accurate. It's true. It exposes, this, these texts expose my brokenness and my great need for your spirit to invade the fullness of my life. My great need to walk by the spirit. Lord, as we go from here today, I am sure that for somebody here this morning, this afternoon, they're going to have a catastrophe. They're going to see their true self shining through. I pray that that will lead them to true brokenness and confession and deep trust in the work of Christ, and hope by the indwelling Spirit that their life can be different. Help them to go back, to review these verses, and say, God, make these truths, these patterns, part of who I am, so that you will be glorified in and through my life. We pray for these blessings in the beautiful and glorious name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together. Out of the depths, out of the depths, I cry to you. In darkest places, I will call. Incline your ear to me anew, and hear my cry for mercy. Count my sinful ways. How could I come before your throne? Yet full forgiveness meets my gaze. I stand redeemed by grace alone. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. So put your hope in God alone Take courage in His power to save Completely and forever one By Christ emerging from the grave I will wait for you I will wait for you on your word will I rely 
Lord, this morning we thank you that we can hear your word. We ask now you'd help us to go and do it. Our words are powerful. We know that. And Lord, we thank you that you put such importance on that in the Proverbs. That what we say maybe even matters more than what we do. So God, may we leave today and not just tell ourselves, I'm going to change then not change, God. May we rely on you, not on a list of things we have to do. Only your spirit can change us from within. And may that be the thing we focus on today, God, and really reflect on ourselves and think, are my words hurting others? Am I saying things I don't need to say? I'm sure many people are like me sitting there and thinking, I'm okay. I'm good. My words are fine. I haven't hurt anybody. No big deal. I don't think that's true. And God, I think you're asking for us to look deeper within, to think deeper of what we're saying and how that's coming out into our lives. God, be with us this week. We need your help to change. We ask you to go with us from this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.